You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The biggest heavyweight title fight in UFC history goes down tomorrow night in Las Vegas, and it will be the final time we see one of the very best make the walk to the hallowed octagon. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the UFC 252 preview show here on MMAfighting.com. I am Mike Hack. That is Jose Youngs. Jose, we're here. We've arrived. Stipe Miocic versus Daniel Cormier 3, the trilogy fight for the heavyweight championship. Both guys have a finish over the other. The stakes are about as high as you can get for a heavyweight title fight. Does it get any better than this, my man? Uh, in terms of the athletic competition that we're about to see inside the octagon, no. And in, in especially in terms of heavyweights. I, I think I said this on uh, what on the between the links. There's just something missing with like the buildup and the promotion of this fight. It might be the lack of fans. It might be because it's we haven't had these guys in the same room just jawing at each other, squaring off until yesterday. Uh, which was the which was the pre-fight press conference, and it was a little special because it was the first press conference we've had uh, since the pandemic really hit. But uh, in terms, but in terms of looking at their abilities inside the octagon, this is as good as it gets. It's the best heavyweight fight I think since well, besides their first two, it's like the best rivalry we've had obviously since Kane versus JDS. I think the third fight of that felt a little bigger, and I think it's because all the media that went into it and uh, the fact that they, they, I explained this all in between the links, like they really built that up uh, as opposed to this, which is once a year, and this is the third fight in a row, is fighting Daniel Cormier. We didn't really get any uh, palate cleansers uh, in between fights, but yeah, in terms of the actual fight, everything about this just screams just high-level, violent martial art competition. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're in different times now with the pandemic and everything, but I I agree. You know, when you put these two guys, the lineage they have, the careers they've had, one of these guys is competing for the final time. One of the other guy is, you know, not saying he's retiring, but he's probably he's thinking about it a lot more. At least this is just checks off all the boxes for me. But like you mentioned, the, the press conference yesterday was very respectful between these guys. And I thought it was interesting when both were asked about sort of utilizing things that made them successful during this rivalry in careers. You know, DC with this wrestling saying, I don't want to wrestle him. I want to fight him. And then Stipe saying essentially, eh, I, I, I might not go to the body this time. Who really knows? That's one of the things that makes this fight so fascinating because both these guys have so many different things they could do to be successful. Do you believe either of these guys when they say these things? No, it's, I mean, Daniel Cormier himself said after his last, their last fight, I don't. I abandoned the wrestling. I mean, I was there. Bob Cook was screaming at Daniel Cormier to shoot him for the takedown. He wasn't. He goes, I just abandoned the wrestling, and that was my downfall. Uh, Stipe was like, uh, maybe. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe I'll go to the body. And Daniel Cormier answered for him. He goes, of course he's going to the body. He would be stupid not to. So uh, it is an MMA fight. Uh, maybe Stipe doesn't have to go to the body because let's not forget, that's, he didn't enter that fight thinking, oh, I'm going to work DC's body and then go and then get the finish. That was a transition and a game change in the middle of the fight. And DC said that in the press conference, you only get one of those. You only get one adjustment. You made it. I know the holes I need to clean up. So maybe he'll look to go to the body. It might not be there this time. And if it's not there, maybe he can't rely on it. Uh, maybe DC uh, will try to wrestle and Stipe won't let him. So it's a matter of what, who can implement their game plan first and continue it. Because like we had Dean Thomas on, it's not who the fighter with the skill set is that normally wins. It's the fighter that it's the first fighter to make a mistake and the first fighter to capitalize on that mistake that usually wins the fight. So if Stipe Miocic, say, leaves himself open like he did in the first fight and DC takes advantage of it, it could be a quick, could be a quick night. 
if DP can't stop the takedown and gets worn out, it's going to be a long night. He'll, he might lose, but it's, if DC shores up his defense in the midsection and Stipe finds another hole, say his legs, his chin, something else, then it could be another, it could be another story. But uh, to say they're not going to wrestle and they're not going to go to the body, that's a little ridiculous. They might not rely on it as heavily, but come on, it's a fight. They're going to, they're going to go for wherever, like you think DC, like DC is going to be like, Oh, I guess I won three rounds. I'm just going to strike with Stipe the whole time. No, he's going to go, he's going to fight whatever the W's those are porn. Whatever gets in the W is what he's going to do. Just thinking about DC making the walk for the final time. It's kind of surreal. Some people think he's going to stick around maybe for a third fight with John Jones at heavyweight. I am not one of those people. I completely believe him when he says this is the final time he'll be fighting because his professional career, this isn't even the best of it. He's got bigger things to come when it comes to his life, his career and, and what's ahead of him. We'll get into your pick and all that in a moment. But, you know, when you think of DC, his career, all he's accomplished, you know, what are some of the things that you look back on this week that, that you reflect on? Is there like a story, a conversation, you know, as he heads into the swan song? Like, what what do you remember about DC the fighter? Uh, I remember vividly watching, because uh, when he won the Strikeforce Grand Prix over Josh Barnett, he was like a fill-in. He wasn't even like, he was like an alternate that like got thrown into the into the Grand Prix. And I remember, the first time I ever really remember D, uh, DC, I think he was, um, I think he was Josh Koscheck's coach on the ultimate fighter opposite gsp like he was in that yellow tank top and then all of a sudden he's in strike force he's building his way up and no none of my friends wanted to watch the strike force grand prix with me so i pretty much watched dc versus josh barnett on my tiny iphone 3 that's where i watched that fight uh so i remember him winning that i remember him making a big splash in the ufc uh in terms of my actual like interactions with him i've told you this story i interviewed him once before his vulcan fight uh in new york city uh, it was when uh, Vox uh, Sports set it up. Um, Fox Sports set it up, and DC. Com- this is right when John Jones was in the middle of his whole suspension thing, and DC was the champion, getting gearing up uh, to fight Vulcan Ozdemir. And he compared John Jones to Michael Jordan, and Michael Jordan went away for two years, and Akeem Olajuwon came in and won the championship. And he referred to himself as the Akeem Olajuwon of MMA. <laughs> You're probably wondering, wow, that sounds like a great interview. How come I've never seen that? It's because the file got corrupted. It was an accidental bump from a waiter at the restaurant I was editing in and no, that interview never saw the light of day. So it might be my favorite interview ever and no one saw it. And I never saw the footage outside of my fond memories of that interview. But DC has always been very um, forthcoming with his time. He's been very great to interview. Like even young guys, he's very patient with, like he speaks on your level. You can ask him a bad question and he'll still answer it. Honestly, you can ask him a great question. He'll give you the exact same, uh, excitement. So, uh, I, I will miss DC, uh, the fighter, but I will also miss DC, uh, as a, as a person that was just, he was so interesting to cover as a human being. So uh, and he has a great backstory, the wrestling and his rise to the top. So if this is indeed the last time, which I think it is, uh, it will, the, the sport will miss him for sure. Competing and media days, press conferences, all that stuff. Luckily, he'll be sticking around the yes. sport, doing commentary and talking about the sport, which is great. And I can't wait to see like which nationally syndicated morning show picks him up to be a co-host because it's definitely going to happen. But for Stipe, look, I, I, I tend to think he's playing with house money here. Like if he wins, he defends the title against Francis Ngannou or, or whoever. If he loses, I'm not 100 percent certain on this or am convinced about this, but I, I would say he has a very, very good chance of being one half of the vacant title fight when they decide to put that together. 
Do you tend to believe that theory as well? And if so, will that affect Steve Miocic's approach tomorrow night? Um, I don't think it's going to affect his approach at all because I think Stipe is very much like I'm going to win. Like I like he said he said it to our own Damon Martin. He goes, "This is going to determine who the greatest heavyweight of all time is." Too bad it has to be me. Sorry, DC. So, like, he is that confident that he's going to go down as the greatest heavyweight champion ever. I don't think he's even entertaining the idea that he's going to lose. Like, yes, it's a possibility, but he's so focused that and, and strong-willed that he knows he's going to win. I don't think he's thinking about – I don't think he's thinking past Daniel Cormier. Uh, but I do think that win or lose, he will be fighting Francis Ngannou next. It's just a matter of whether it's for a vacant title or if he's defending the title. Maybe it might not be – at, in 2020, it might be early 2021, uh, but I think Francis is has done more than enough to earn the title shot. Uh, if not, like I, I can't imagine. Like if he wants to keep fighting, great. I think it'd be foolish to risk his number one contender spot. Uh, and Stipe versus him is a rematch, which I'm sure the UFC wouldn't hate because I know the UFC really, really built up Francis in their first fight. And Stipe, like you said. It's the relationship between the UFC and Stipe has gotten a lot better since that night. He did not want to be there after all, like Dana White basically uh, championing uh, Francis and Gano the entire buildup. So you, um, if he doesn't want that fight, I get it. But Derek Lewis is there. Curtis Blades is there and Gano is there. Uh, there's a lot of good heavyweights. I still think Curtis Blades should fight Derek Lewis and Francis Gano should fight Stipe. They can fight on the same card for all I care. But I think those are the two fights that will happen next after tomorrow night. And then there's there's the John Jones factor in there. You can't forget about him. Wild card city. But, I still uh, don't think I think the UFC is much more interested in Israel Adesanya versus John Jones at light heavyweight in 2021, uh, because that to me, like we've seen the DC fight twice. Uh, yes, DC is a heavyweight now, but he's on the wrong side of 40. He's no longer a spring chicken. I really think they want the. But again. Dana White says if John Jones wants to fight a light heavyweight again, he's got to fight Dominic Reyes. So I, I love, I want, I want to see that fight before anything, right? Because I was in Houston, and I think a lot. And Casey was in Houston. A lot of people think Dominic Reyes won. I think that is the a big question mark on John Jones' career. If he beats Dominic Reyes, handedly, maybe. But I think the UFC wants Jones Adesanya uh, in the future, and over a third fight between uh, Jones and DC. Yeah, I don't think we'll see Jones versus DC, but if Jones wants to fight Nganu or Jones wants to fight sure. Stipe, if they if the UFC let's say DC wins and there's a vacant title and John Jones says, whatever, yeah. let's get it done, that could happen. So if if it happens, I don't want it to be for if John Jones does go to heavyweight, it's not I don't want it to be a non title fight. I want it to be for a vacant title or if he's challenging Stipe or DC, whoever, I don't want John to just go up against Francis for a random headliner i don't want that he's got to fight for a title completely agree i mean tomorrow night though massive massive heavyweight title fight checks all the boxes in every way so million dollar question jose who leaves the ufc apex with gold wrapped around their waist wow um i'm making my mind up now (sighs) i lean stipe i think stipe is just whenever there's a fight that's so close in my mind like, if I can't make up my mind, I always tend to favor the champion. He is the champion. He's coming in. He's coming off the, the big win in his last fight. If anyone can make adjustments going into a rematch, it's Daniel Cormier. But I just, I think Stipe wins. I think it'll be a stoppage. I think he's going to catch DC. Uh, I think DC's going to look phenomenal. I think Stipe's going to look phenomenal. I don't think it's going to be one-sided at all. I think it's going to be like any heavy, heavyweight knockout. It's going to be competitive until someone gets caught. And I just think Stipe is going to catch Daniel Cormier. I could be, I could be wrong. Uh, I could absolutely, I, 
it, there's a high possibility I could be wrong. That's how close this. I usually say 51-49. This is 50-50. In my mind, this is 50-50. And I, in my head, flipped a coin and it landed heads on Steve Bay. So that's what I'm picking. Yeah, I flipped the same coin. Just happened to land on Tails for DC. So it's a, it's just such a good fight. It's so hard to pick. But And I am in agreement. I know Cain Velas is out there. I know Fedor's out there. The winner of this should be the greatest heavyweight ever. I would agree with that as well. I mean, I understand the Fedor argument, but, you know, let's from start to finish, it's got to be one of these two guys. We've yeah. seen what Fedor has done. He's had some losses, some bad losses. You know, and these guys are still argue, plugging along. If, people, if you want to argue Fedor, Kane, fine. Like, you're not sure. wrong either. It's one. It's any of those four that we just named. Like, what's the loser of this? The great second greatest? And then what? Kane, Fedor's three, four. Like, it's not a bad, li- not a bad list of people to be involved with. 100%. Co-main event. This one is not flying under the radar at all, especially considering what the main event entails and what is at stake there. But we got Sean O'Malley, one of the rising stars in our sport, coming off two quick finishes in 2020. The most recent one was that nasty KO of Eddie Wineland at UFC 250. He is back to take on Marlon Cheeto Vera. Biggest test of Sugar Sean's career, undoubtedly. Absolutely stupendous matchmaking, Jose. Absolute stupendous card placement for this one. What sticks out to you at 135 pounds in this co-main event? I mean, it's the perfect fight. Uh, Marlon Vera is one of the one of the. It's he, it's a it checks all the boxes. They're both very charismatic. They both are incredibly exciting fighters. They're both in the prime of their careers. This is this has the makings of it could be one. It could be one of those things like it's a double bonus. The winner of this could get fight of the night and a performance bonus. That is what I'm looking at. This like Sugar Sean O'Malley is the man right now in the eyes of the UFC. He really has that air of of greatness, like Connor or when Adesanya made the rise, or like these fighters that from the jump. They were earmarked as future contenders, future uh, superstars, like crossover global icons. And standing opposite him is a guy that has just doesn't care, doesn't care about any of that. Like I, he doesn't care if you're Sugar Sean O'Malley, the 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 flavor of the month, as people like to say, or you're the thousandth ranked bandway. This dude just wants to throw down a Marlon Vera, Ecuadorian. Uh, he says he just likes to fight. He doesn't need any other motivation because he has a bunch of kids. He's married. He goes, that's my motivation. This is fun to me. I'll talk crap if I want to, but I don't have to. Sometimes I just want to really fight. Uh, they've been booked before. They're very respectful, honestly, because when Marlon, when they were originally supposed to fight and Sugar Sean got that tainted supplement, Marlon Vera was very understanding. He's like, hey, man, next time that next time you take something, just call the UFC. Like he was giving them advice. I'm sure you saw that embedded where Marlon Vera was giving Sean O'Malley advice on how to deal with the USADA and supplements and the UFC and everything. So there's no bad blood here. This is just an awesome fight. It checks, like I said, all the boxes, uh, Cody and Marlon, whoever wins this is going to be a big deal going forward. I favor Sean O'Malley. I think I'm probably going to pick him. I don't know how, uh, but Sugar Sean has not looked outside of hurting himself against Andre Sukumtov. Hasn't looked really broken a sweat in recent fights. The Jose Quinones fight, the Eddie Weiland fight were highlight reel stoppages. I mean, we're talking like if Cody Garbrandt doesn't starch uh, Rafael Sunso on that same card, Sean O'Malley probably has the best knockout of of the of the apex era, I would say. It's between those two, in my opinion. So I wish that fight was going to happen uh, in the future, but that's another conversation. But this fight is the, quote, people's main event. I don't have an issue with it being called that. Uh, I have a feeling that the winner, win or lose, we could see this fight even again down the road, maybe five rounds if they continue to rattle off some wins. Because, like, remember when Connor fought this young 20-year-old Hawaiian named Max Holloway? This kind of has that feeling. I know Marlon Vera's been around for a while, but the flip side... 
this could be Conor McGregor Poirier part two, where Conor just ran in there and starched Poirier, and then they both went on to have great careers. But that's really where the 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 skyrocket that that Connor grabbed and took. Yes, the Dublin car was great, but they crushed Poirier. He was a big name, so uh, I don't know uh, how it's going to play out. But I favor Sean O'Malley. Yeah, I've said this a few times about this fight, and you know, every different iteration, I've had the opportunity to do so. The longer this fight goes, the more it favors Marlon Vera. Yeah. Marlon Vera is like the Greg the Hammer Valentine of this fight. <laughs> Just bring him into deep water. That's where he thrives. He tastes that blood and he gets stronger. I'm not saying Sean O'Malley doesn't have excellent cardio and he's not in terrific shape because he is. But Cheeto is just a dog. He loves getting in these situations. It's when he's at his best. You would think Sean knows that being who Sean O'Malley is. Very intelligent guy. Studies the game and is a fan of the sport. So he probably knows that Marlon gets better as the fight goes on. And Marlon probably knows that Sean knows that, if that makes any sense. But you have to feel like Vera's being slept on here, considering yeah. the amount of attention O'Malley has been getting and continues to get, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I was in, I was at his last fight against Song Yudong. I had him winning that fight. I actually, a lot of people think Marlon Vera beat Song Yudong in Jacksonville. And if he had won that, well, that's a six-fight win streak. And they're, they're, when I say it's a win streak, they're, none of them were decisions. They were TKOs and submissions. So this guy isn't going out there and squeaking out wins. Like He's going out there and putting a beat down on his opponents. The thing that the thing that I think tips it for me with Sean O'Malley is no, we haven't really seen his grappling. Uh, he is a phenomenal jujitsu practitioner. He is unbelievable. Like you're saying, people are sleeping on Marlon Vera's abilities. I think a lot of people are sleeping on Sugar Sean's grappling ability. I think he himself says he fa- his favorite sport is not MMA. It's jujitsu, but he understands knockouts are what people want to see, and so that's what he goes for. Uh, if Marlon Vera gets in trouble and gets hurt and he takes it down. You're not safe. I think Sean O'Malley can tap anyone. He can knock out anyone. I think, unlike Connor, where he was so dangerous on the ground and he could get it done on the—I mean, so dangerous on his feet and he could get it done on the ground—I think Sean could be better grappler than striker. He just happens to be a phenomenal striker. We just haven't seen it. So uh, I know he has that piston left hand, right, or in that uppercut. Uh, but I've seen him in quintet. The only person that got him out of there early was Hector Lombard, who dropped down for a leg lock. And when I was under the pressure, well, there were no leg locks in quintet. <laughs> so let's that, let's that, and also Hector Lombard weighed about 250 pounds in there. And Sugar Sean was like, I don't know, a buck 60. So I'll give him a pass on that. So, yeah, I think I think Sean O'Malley's grappling and we haven't really seen it on embedded either. We saw a lot of striking, a lot of hitting pads, didn't see a lot of grappling. So uh, I think it could be a raw. A, I, I like I, Marlon's and everything you said about Marlon's true. It gets out of the second round. It's anyone's game. But those first 10 minutes. You have to survive against Sean O'Malley. Yeah, I think it's probably closer to like the first seven and a half minutes. Yeah. Like midway through the second round, if this fight's still happening, I'm going to be, you know, buckling the old proverbial seatbelt here. O'Malley has unbelievable cardio too. Like he, I've interviewed him enough times on the Arizona scene that he's like, he loves like training cardio. Like he goes, because movement is such a big part of his game that he knows that his cardio needs to be on point. He's not a stagnant fighter. He fights like, like Dil- not, I'm not comparing Dillashaw Cruz and their abilities, but they're always moving like O'Malley. O'Malley's always on the move, circling in and out, darting up and down. He's not stagnant. So his cardio is, I'm not even calling it underrated. It's unbelievable. So I think O'Malley, I still favor O'Malley, but Marlon, you got to put away Marlon Vera uh, and before the third round if you have any hopes of, uh, of securing a definitive win. Yeah, I mean, even putting him away 
It's not. I don't think it's been done. It's huge. Yeah, it's been a nothing that I can remember off the top of my head. But that's a great fight. I am leaning towards O'Malley early on, anyways. If it gets past that point, I'm not saying O'Malley can't get get his hand raised, but it does make things pretty interesting. But the main card as a whole is really, really good. We got Junior Dos Santos against Jairzinho Rosenstrike in the featured spot. Herbert Burns, who missed weight by three and a half pounds, takes on the returning Daniel Pineda. What a story that is. Back in the octagon for the first time in over six years. John Dodson versus Barab Wallace Willie is yeah. awesome at 135 pounds. But yeah. you know where this is heading, Jose. It is under the radar time. Time to shine some light, give some love to that fight or fights that just aren't getting enough of it. What is your under-the-radar storyline, under-the-radar fight heading into tomorrow night? I think there's two, and they're both in the same weight class. It's the two women's strawweight fights. The Felice Herrig uh, versus Verna fight is unbelievable. Verna's a former Invicta champion, and she, I think she's she's the dark horse of this division. The only one she's really lost to in recent memory is, off the top of my head, is Carlos Sparza. And she didn't look terrible in that fight. Like, Verna is unlike what? Her record is great. It's like, I think she has one... Maybe two losses. I can only remember the Carlos Spars off the top of my head. Uh, and the Felice Herrick has fought a who's who of, uh, of of women's MMA competition. Like, if you look at who she they've matched her up with, it's like the Paige Van Zants, the Alexa Grossos. Uh, I think she was she was supposed to fight Jean 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 Nan. I think is how you pronounce her name on that Chicago card, but then she got hurt. So they really do use her as like a barometer of where these these high level prospects are. And I'm not even calling Verna a prospect. Like this is just a good uh, stepping stone for uh, Verna and Felice. She's coming off really bad knee surgery, but she still deserves a big name because she is a big name. So this is a great fight. And then Ashley Yoder versus Livia Hanata Souza. This fight could be real violent and real bloody and real sloppy because they could just be throwing leather, uh, cutting each other out, bruising each other out. might not be the most technical fight, but it's going to be real hard to put the other one away. Uh, Livia Hanata Souza is who I consider a female BMF. She's a terrifying individual. If you haven't read it already, go read Guillermo Cruz's interview with her. Uh, she promises to haunt certain fighters' dreams. I won't give it away because I want you to go read it. And Ashley Yoder, the spider monkey, she, she's fought in Mackenzie Dern. She's fought these big cards. She fought on the 25th anniversary card up in Denver with no corner. Keep in mind, you like Rose Namajunas and Pat Berry basically met her there. And we're like, yeah, we'll corner you. So she fought like I think it was Amanda Cooper with no corner. Like she got her corner like that week. So, uh, she, you know, she's always down to scrap. So I think the two women's strawweight fights are I'm not even calling them under the radar. Like those two I do have circled as fights uh, you need to pay attention to. Yeah, I I don't even have very much to add to that. Ashley Yoder, I interviewed her a couple of weeks ago, which you could find on the site. If they say MMA is a game of inches, and yeah. Ashley Yoder is like the definition of that. Because I thought I covered that her first fight against Justine Kish. Definitely thought Ashley Yoder won that fight. Yep. The Dern fight was really close. The Hill fight was close. The Cooper Rena one Marcus was super fight. close. And the Rena Marcos one was really close. Like she's had like all split decisions or like controversial decisions throughout it's her entire run. She's basically the uh, who uh, Dennis Bermudez of women's strawways, where you just <laughs> rattle off like uh, like you're beating Jeremy Stevens, and then you can just get caught with a flying knee at the end, and then you rattle off, you lose a bunch of narrow split decisions. So uh, Ashley, like uh, Ashley, could be on like a five fight win streak, but instead she's she's lost like she's like two and four or something like that in the last few fights. So yeah, uh, those two fights uh, really stand out to me. She has a thirty twenty four win under her belt. But then no finishes in the UFC, but she got a 30 to 24. That is insane. On the flip side, I actually think she lost to Amanda Cooper on that Denver card. Like that's, that was a really close fight too. So even in wins, it's that close. Yeah. Amanda Cooper feels the same way. Trust me. All these, uh, all this time later, but I love that fight between Yoder and Soza. They're just going to beat the snot out of each other. 
And then, you know, Felice Harry's return is just a story in itself. I feel like her mind is in the best place it's been in a long time. It's been almost two years since we've seen her since the torn ACL. And Verna's got a little bit of a momentum herself. She's 15 and one. She's coming off that submission win over Mallory Martin. And the only loss in her career was to Herrig's really good friend, Carla Esparza. So this is the chance to get that one back and in a weird way, but very interesting fight. And probably in my opinion, the funnest division in possibly all of MMA, definitely the most loaded division in the UFC in terms of women's fighting. But Tomorrow night, it all goes down. UFC 252 at the UFC Apex in the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada. Our man, the producer extraordinaire, Casey Lydon, is in Las Vegas. And we're going to have you covered before, during, and after the event with just coverage galore, interacting with all of you guys. It's going to be a huge night for MMA fans around the world with the heavyweight championship on the line. That's it. We are done. UFC 252 preview show in the books on MMAfighting.com for Jose Young's I am Mike Heck. Buckle up. We'll see you tomorrow night. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.